It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy holiday. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, Jolly John Riley. (laughs) We welcome you to our weekly Thursday podcast brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. We're broadcasting from their studio here in San Diego. you got projects for 2024. Start thinking. Start acting. Think Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores to be your guide. We got a lot of things planned. We're going a lot of different directions as we, John, head towards what's going to be a really great sports weekend, great New Year's weekend, great college football playoff weekend. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, yeah, the football playoffs are going to be fantastic, but we had a pretty exciting game last night at Petco. We're going lots of different directions, and when we're done, some things are going to happen here uh, at the end of our podcast. John, item one, Hacksaw's Insiders Group. How do those people who are joining us on our live stream join our team? Yeah, so you can get involved. Just join Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Upper right corner, there's an orange box. Put your email in. Hey, we just sent out the best 15 minutes of sports this morning. This is all Lee's notes. It's like his crib <laughs> sheet of all the detail. It's awesome. I mean, if you want to get an email with everything that's going on in the world of sports, we're sending that out nearly every day. So sign up at LeeHacksawHamilton.com and be part of the Insiders Group. And if you like our sports you like sports, check my website. It's all written. Every night there's new stuff on it. You'll really like it. Well, maybe not all the time, but you'll <laughs> like Hacksaw's Headlines, the best 15 minutes in sports, my one man's opinion column, and Hacksaw's mini polls. Insiders Group, that's really important. We're planning some unique and different things for 2024. And John, how do people subscribe? Subscribe. You know, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, like, follow, share, and subscribe on all the social media platforms. Hacksaw is ubiquitous on the digital platforms. Everywhere. What does that mean? It means you are pervasive. You are omnipresent. You are everywhere. Don't use those $4 words. I'm a 25-cent man. Bleeping brilliant. There you go. Hey, a lot of topics on the table. We're going to go a lot of different directions when we're done. Fans forum. Hope you'll join us, too, for that. John, interesting game in downtown San Diego last night. Football in the baseball stadium. And I think everybody had a good time. Yeah, you know, the Holiday Bowl is one of those games that usually is one of the best of the non-New Year's Day Bowls, and it lived up to its reputation. USC debuts a rock star quarterback. This was really impressive. His name is Miller Moss. He sat there for two years, hardly played at all because of all the defections, Caleb Williams' decision to step aside and not play while he gets ready to file for the NFL draft. Miller Moss comes out like a mad bomber, and he threw deep, and he threw deep, and he threw deep, and he threw six touchdown passes. He threw for 372 yards, his first start ever in college football, and the whole nation watched it. And I thought to myself, because I I thought this was going to be a dreary holiday bowl, and this was like holiday bowls of yesteryear. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the great bowls that we've seen that has really become the, the rubber stamp of what College football, Holiday Bowl, San Diego is all about. 
Miller Moss. Lincoln Riley, it's been six weeks since the lousy end of the season where they dropped five of their last six. Six weeks since they got run off the field by UCLA. Six weeks since their own people, the Coliseum booed them coming off the field. Lincoln <laughs> Riley just kind of reinvented his football team in the wake of all these defections. I mean, I was very impressed with what they did. There was sizzle. There were big strike plays. They were unbelievably aggressive offensively. Now, I thought it was weird. Caleb Williams, the star quarterback, who did a great job for a year and a half after transferring from Oklahoma before things fell apart on him, Caleb Williams stood on the sidelines with his jersey wrapped around his neck, cheering on a Miller Moss. I don't know. Should he have played? He kind of, to me, it's like you bailed out on your teammate. I understand you're going to go to the NFL probably. Maybe you're protecting your yourself that you don't get hurt in your final game. And it is the final game in the Pac-12 conference, as we know, for USC. There was just a lot of emotion in the stands. I wonder if USC football will really ever be the same now that they change address and they go to the Big Ten Conference. But I watched Miller Moss just play bombs away, and he was accurate, and his guys were running away from Louisville secondary. I mean, it was a tremendous explosion of a game. And in Holiday Bowl history, because they sat back and think, okay, let's press the memory button. Holiday Bowl. Most of it was about BYU in the early years, Mm -hmm. and that was Jim McMahon, and that was Steve Young, and that was Robbie Bosco. That was Ty Detmer. And then other great ones. Heitzman Trophy winner Barry Sanders came here with Oklahoma State and was dazzling. Blair Thomas, Penn State, came here. Unbelievably impressive with Joe Paterno. There have been so many great bowl games here. And I thought this thing was going to get sidetracked because USC had 20 players not there, which was amazing. They had so many guys in the transfer portal and a whole bunch have already declared to go to the NFL. And then Lincoln Riley just kind of reinvents himself in the six weeks between the lousy loss to UCLA and the kickoff against Louisville in the Holiday Bowl. So I was impressed. It's going to be fascinating because now suddenly Miller Moss has put himself right at the front of the line of whomever the head coach is going to recruit or bring in in the transfer portal. This guy's got to be your starting quarterback, at least going to spring football. Six touchdowns, first time out of the shoot. I I, I thought it was a fascinating game, and for the fans, they had a good time. It was very entertaining, yep. you know? I mean, we're talking about a lot of these other bowl games, and the stands are kind of quiet, not much going on. This was a great game, and good on Miller Moss. And, and did you see the post game when he won the offensive MVP? Mm-hmm. I mean, dude was composed, poised. It looked like he was expecting to be the MVP. And then at the end of the game, they, they dumped eggnog on Lincoln Riley. I don't know if you saw that. That was fantastic. But it was just a great game all around, and, you know, it's celebration for San Diego. Steve Fisher was a, the, the what do they call him, the, the main guy Grand in the Marshall. parade? The Grand Marshal on the parade, yeah. So, you know, it's a cool thing for San Diego to have this event, and I'm glad they're doing it at Petco. Um, it's, it's special. Yeah, it's got a real unique environment, unique flavor to it, which I think is kind of cool. And that kid, that kid looked like Daryl LaMonica bombs away. <laughs> Daryl LaMonica. he was accurate. He threw with great strength down the field, hit his guys running in stride. I was so impressed. So if you're a USC fan, uh, how cool was what we saw with Miller Moss? If you're a USC fan, jump into the chat box for Fans Forum. Will Trojan football feel the same going forward to a new mailing address in the Big Ten Conference? So we got that. Now, if that's not big enough, 
Look what's just ahead, John. Yeah, the granddaddy of them all. Rose Bowl is going to be starting up this weekend. Here come the college football playoffs. Wow. Semifinal. We've been waiting for this. You got Rose Bowl. You got Michigan. You got Alabama. Do you know the SEC is 22-4 and in college playoff games since this format was put into place? That's impressive. Nick Saban's 19-11 and in college football playoff games. Hmm. Jim Harbaugh. Two and seven. Two and seven. Two and seven in bowl games over the course of his career at Ann Arbor. Michigan's not won a bowl game since 2015. Michigan did beat Penn State, Ohio State at the end of the season. That was their feather in their cap. The Tide beat Georgia. Huge upset win. That's really the only marquee game Alabama's played. Now the Tide, which lost early, solved its quarterback problems. Alabama's won 11 in a row. So you got Bama's 401-yard-per-game offense, led by quarterback Jalen Milrow, who's coming back. He wound up throwing for 31-56 and 35 touchdowns. Not bad for a guy that was not the starting quarterback at the start of the season. Mm. And they plugged him in, and Nick Saban coached him up, and Alabama got progressively better and better and better and got to the finish line and punched Georgia in the mouth. Now, Michigan... Michigan's defense is unbelievable. So you got Bama, 401 yards per game. Do you think they're going to move the ball against Michigan? Michigan is giving up 239 yards a game defensively. Wow. You don't see that in in football anywhere. 23 takeaways. Uh, Blake Corum, 24 touchdowns this year for Michigan. J.J. McCarthy, very, very efficient passer. I guess the keys are, can the Tide win if they can't run the football and it all goes on the shoulders of Jalen Milrow. Because half of Milrow's game is throwing down the field, but the other half is being able to run. And if that quarterback can't run what they want and their backs can't run against a defense giving up 239 yards per game, boy, they're in trouble. Now, can Michigan run the ball? You know, that's the big thing is Corm's got to run the ball to open up the passing lanes for J.J. McCarthy. Michigan can be dynamic, but this is Bama. And Bama's defense has gotten progressively better as the season's gone on. I don't know how to pick this game. I really don't. Milrow has really been explosive as the season's marched on. Saban's got all that experience. You got Harbaugh, the controversy. Great defense. I think some questions about his offense. I don't know who's going to win this game. I guess if you're asking me... I'm going to pick Milrow in Alabama just based really? on who that coach is. And John Riley says... Well, you you were big on Michigan when we were doing the preview of the season back in August. And I was big on them going into the Ohio State game. Yeah. So um, now I, I'm i rooting for Michigan mostly because I want Alabama to lose. Okay. I, I'm just so sick and tired of Nick Saban and Alabama. Um, and I kind of want to see Harbaugh just sort of stick it, you know, given all this controversy and just win in spite of all the controversy. Um, but I'll tell you what, the Rose Bowl semifinal, great environment. About, I don't know, six, eight years ago, my son and I went to the game Florida State, Oregon, Mariota versus Winston. And that was a really fun environment. So for all the people that are trekking to Pasadena, they're in for a good show. So you are picking Michigan? I'm picking Michigan and I'm sticking with them. Okay. So you and I won't be talking to each other this weekend. <laughs> oh, so we go from the Rose Bowl. To what I think is going to be a great game. Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl. And now Texas and Washington. These are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Two really different coaches. Kalen DeBoer up in Seattle is 22-2 and 
as head coach at Washington. He came from Fresno State. That's pretty impressive. Steve Sarkeesian, West Coast guy. A lot of controversy. Troubles in Washington. Troubles at USC. Fought through the personal battle with alcoholism. I thought it was a strange hire to hire him, a Texas Texas Longhorn program, hiring a West Coast guy. Normally they hire yeah. from within. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarkisian has really gotten this thing cooking. UW has won 11 one-score games this year. Not afraid Whoa. to be there in crunch time. Wow. That's a pretty pretty efficient piece of production. They gunned down Oregon. They beat Oregon twice. Oregon, the big machine offensively. That's pretty impressive. Now, Texas has never faced the type of firepower this year on their schedule that they're going to face when they face the Huskies. Now, Texas's offense, 475 yards per game. That's pretty impressive. Defense, 321 yards per game. UW, 469 on offense. Thank you, Michael Penix. Defense, leaky, giving up 396 yards per game. Longhorn quarterback Quinn Ewers, who's been in and out of the lineup with injuries, over 3,100 yards passing. Run game has suffered a significant injury. It's not quite the run game. A lot is put on the shoulders of the quarterback now. Michael Penix, 4,218 yards, 33 touchdown passes. He's been the trigger man for all these come-from-behind wins and all these one-touchdown victories this season. He's got a wide receiver the country ought to be talking about, Rome Odunze. 81 catches over 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, 17 yards per catch. And when they're not throwing to Odunze, Ja Polk, 60 catches, 16 yards per reception. Lots of big plays down the field from Michael Penix. So the keys, can Texas's defense hold up against this onslaught when Michigan comes to the line of scrimmage? Will Washington's leaky defense make this game a shootout because they're not going to be able to stop Ewers in Texas? And then the sidebar question, should Georgia or Florida State be playing on Monday rather than in a different bowl game? So, John, you got you got the Horns, you got the Huskies, and you got the angry people in the Deep South who still don't like the way this thing turned out. <laughs> you know, first of all, I, I want a West Coast team to win the whole thing. It's been forever, right, since yep. we've had that. Now, Texas, in, they kind of snuck in, you know, like they were sort of incognito to a degree. I mean, Georgia got a lot more fanfare through the year. But when was the last time Texas has made it this far? Do you have to go back to like the Vince Young days? Vince Young, probably. Of course, prior to that, Daryl Royal. Yeah. But yeah, the, Vin, the Vince Young championship games out here. But Sarkeesian's team got progressively better and better, hit a bump, lost their big running back, Jonathan Brooks. Uh, bad knee injury midseason. He would, I mean, he was probably going to be the running back of the year, maybe even an outside Heisman Trophy candidate when he went down. So they're kind of doing running back by committee. But a lot of it is on, on the shoulders of Quinn Ewers. But we're sitting out here and we're watching Washington. We've seen a lot of Husky football on TV. Mm-hmm. They are dynamic. And that quarterback stayed there and he has he just played really, really well. And DeBoer's got a really good football program that he has built there in just two years running. So I'm picking Huskies over Texas. And John Raleigh says? Uh, definitely Huskies. I, I want the Huskies to go all the way. Huskies, Wolverines, final is what I've got. Okay. The th- third topic as it relates to college football is this. Nobody's happy. I think this could be a really good game 
but it's obviously not going to be a national championship game. Florida State, Georgia, Orange Bowl. Here's the big issue. Florida State is going to go with the freshman quarterback, Brock Glenn, because the other quarterback who is due to come back and play has put himself in the transfer portal. On bowl week, he elected to opt out. So they're going to play the freshman. He's taken the bulk of the snaps. And Brock Glenn, who we saw in that playoff, the SEC championship game, he struggled. Or I'm sorry, the ACC championship Mm -hmm. game. He struggled. He's going to have to start because there is nobody else left. Georgia's got Christian Beck, and he's already announced he's coming back to school. Georgia's got its receivers. Georgia's got its defense. Georgia's got its running game. I think, unfortunately, for the Seminoles, as great as their defense is, the fact that you have a marginal quarterback, a freshman, playing now against one of the elite Georgia teams that they've ever had down there, uh, you're going to find out why Florida State didn't get to the Final Four, sadly, you know, because of the loss of Travis Jordan with that significant shoulder injury way back. But, boy, there's a lot of angst. This, this to me, from a distance, should be a really sexy game to watch. And it's not. Because everybody in the Deep South is really peeved. And the rest of college football is not paying any attention. So I think Georgia's going to win this game. And it's going to end badly for Florida State. And they're going to go to the offseason feeling like they really got snubbed. Well, this is a, a classic example of why we need to open up the playoffs, you know, because well, next year we will. Right. Which is good. I mean, I it was ridiculous when, A, we had no playoff. Then, B, we only had the top two. Now we have the top four, but it should be at least eight. It's going to be 12. Like I said, I would open it up to 32. I would go all the way with it. But, um, you know, there's been some fans in social media that were commenting, you know, even about the USC Holiday Bowl game. Should these teams be penalized if they are not having their starters play the game? If they're in a transfer portal or they're going into the draft? I mean, is there a consequence to that if, if you end up with a completely different team for the bowl game? How do, how do you victimize the school? It's the kids that are making the decisions. Mm-hmm. However, interesting point that was made. You brought this up last night, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Now, they're in the Peach Bowl against Penn State. He stood up at the podium in his final press conference and said, this is disastrous for college football. This should not have never been allowed to happen. It needs to be changed. He's making reference to player free agency. And Lane Kiffin says, look at any other sport. Do you see any other sport in which they're allowing the players to declare free agency at the end of the season while their teams are in postseason play or in the World Series or in the Super Bowl or in the NBA Finals? Right. Do you see any other sport that allows that to happen? Why has that been allowed to happen to our sport? He he thinks what's happened here has been horribly detrimental. And like I told you last week on our podcast, one of my concerns was a lot of these bowl games are meaningless. Because players have opted out. We're not going to the bowl game excited about my team's in a bowl game. We're going Mm -hmm. to a bowl game as my quarterback going to play? What's going to happen when all my school guys opt out to go to the transfer portal? So Lane Kiffin was just condemning the whole structure of what was allowed to happen where guys could opt out in November or in December and just not be part of the team. I I think it's a problem for me because... You have gone with your guys all year, and you've been in the trenches together. In essence, you've gone to war with them. And now at the last minute, you're opting out. You're not going to play in a bowl game with the guys you went through the whole season with to win 11 or 12 games. That doesn't sit well with me. But 
players do, I guess, have a right to protect their health. They don't want to get hurt, so they don't get damaged in the transfer portal, or they don't want to get hurt, so we devalue them if they're going to the NFL draft. But what about the school? What about the teammates you had? No? No, well, yeah. I mean, like a lot of sports, you can't declare free agency until after the World Series or after the Super Bowl. That makes sense to me. Um, But, you know, if you're a fan— and let's just say you're a Louisville fan or, or wherever, and you shell out money to fly somewhere, hotel, and you get there, and it's the second string. You're like, "What the heck is this?" So yeah, they've got to fix this. There's just it's it's the it's become the wild wild west. I support players being able to transfer. You know, I like that idea. Opting out uh, because you're going to go in the draft, that's weak-ass sauce. I don't like that at all. I mean, Caleb Williams should have been playing. And, and just as an aside, I don't think he would have played as well as Miller Moss. You know, But it's a sad thing when you know these bowl games are supposed to be the pinnacle of the season, and now they're so anticlimactic. Yeah, the kids have a good time, and the backups get finally get a chance to play and experience that. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to the bowls, the bowl backers. Holiday Bowl Redcoats, who put so much time and effort over the whole yeah. calendar year for our bowl game, which has got a great tradition and reputation. So, you're a college football fan. Jump in there on that. Who do you think is going to win uh, the Rose Bowl? And then, obviously, the Sugar Bowl matchups as the playoffs begin. you got to comment on what Lane Kiffin had to say as it relates to, this is stupid, what college football is allowed to become. Nobody else is doing it. So, we got all that to talk about. We got NFL football to cover too. Yeah, drama in Mile High Stadium. Ooh, this is a this came out of nowhere. Maybe we should have seen it coming. Russell Wilson's been benched by the Denver Broncos with two games to go in the season. They're still holding on, still trying to fight their lives in to get into the wild card race. Russell Wilson benched, he will be released at the end of the year. The head coach, Sean Payton, says, yes, there is an economic component to the decision we've made. However, they were one in five out of the gate. They fixed things. Russell Wilson played really well, but now they've collapsed again. They've lost three of their last four. Last four games, Russell Wilson, six touchdowns, five turnovers, only 61% completion rate. The economic component is this. If he plays the last two games and he gets hurt, his $37 million contract next year is automatically guaranteed. And if he's on the roster next year, the $38 million the following year is guaranteed. Incredible. Why the Broncos would ever give him a structure of that contract where this injury component could kick in at the end. That's why he's being removed. A, he's not playing well. But B, if he gets hurt, and all these other quarterbacks in the league have gotten hurt. If he gets hurt, now you're on the hook for that money for next year. It's already locked in. And the minute he's on the roster next year, the following year gets locked in. Union investigated. Now the insinuations are the Broncos went to Russell Wilson in the middle of the season after the lousy 1-5 and start and said, we want you to drop the injury clause in the contract. And he said no. So he held them to what they offered him. So that's that's the whole situation. They release him at the end of the year. They're going to take an $89 million cap hit. Jeez. $89 million. That'll be divided over two seasons. That's still a big cap hit. Yeah. It's obvious they want to get rid of him, and they're going to go a whole different direction. Sean Payton wants another quarterback. I think the burning question with two weeks to go in the season, do you lose the locker room? There are probably a bunch of Russell Wilson guys in that room. 
Now, it's interesting, Russell Wilson's response today, it's the first time he's spoken, he says, I'm with God. God has a plan for me. So he has not publicly gone bitter and dropped the nuclear warhead on Sean Payton. He says there is a plan, which means he's going to play somewhere next year, maybe at a different lower price. And, he, you know, the, with the union leaking out the information that the Broncos tried to change the injury clause in the contract. Here's a sidebar story. So you, you're the general manager, George Payton, in Denver. You made the trade with Seattle to get him. You traded two number ones, two number twos, a four, five, and six, and you traded three players. One of them is a Seahawks starting tight end, Noah Fant. The other is the young quarterback, Drew Locke. Mm -hmm. Then that general manager, George Payton, after making that trade, gave him this mega contract extension with all the injury clauses in it. Uh, Could you please tell me why he still has his job? All right, your your response, Wilson, Peyton, Broncos, GM. Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird story. I mean, it's like these perverse incentives. You know, why would you get your contract extended if you got hurt? You know, usually it's the other way around. But I questioned the whole thing when Russell Wilson went there in the first place, because he seemed to be on the decline in his career in Seattle. And sure, they wanted a stable quarterback, but, you know, this just this whole thing isn't working at all. It's funny, though, how... This has been such a soap opera season for the Broncos. They lose like by a million points to the Dolphins. Oh, the scoreboard was 70 20. 70 to 20, you know, and then they ended up, you know, coming back and now they're in the playoff hunt and they're getting rid of their quarterback. So the whole thing is just nuts in Denver. So if it's bad in Denver, it's not very good in Kansas City. John, your next question? <laughs> yeah. Travis Kelsey's like, he's a lot of focus on, on this guy and now he's reacting. We got Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey, can we play and win again? Go back to the Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift. On and on and on and on. Really bad game last weekend. They got beat again. Chiefs are on a real skid. They've lost three of their last four. They don't look like the same football team. It's like Andy Reid has lost that side of the football. It's it's a combination of quarterbacking, pass protection, and a bunch of wide receivers that have really let the quarterback down. Uh, Kansas City's offense, 34 drops, 26 turnovers, 56 penalties just on the offense this season. That's not Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes football. And then Travis Kelsey had the meltdown during the game as they lost to the Raiders, got punched in the mouth by the Raiders, got run off the field by the Raiders. So he slammed his helmet down near the bench area right in front of Andy Reid. And Andy Reid told the trainers, take his helmet. He's not going back in the game. Yeah. In essence, they benched him. Now they did put him back a little bit later. But Kelsey, Kelsey does a podcast with his brother Jason Kelsey from the Eagles. And the stuff that came out of his mouth, even I would not say that on my podcast. (laughs) He says, everything is effing wrong in Kansas City. You players need to be effing accountable. Do your effing job. Nice environment Kansas City's got. Kansas City is obviously going to have to go on the road in the playoffs. But this late in the season, if you haven't solved your problems, I don't think you're going to solve it in the next two weeks in terms of all these drops in the wrong routes and guys off sides and just guys just not running discipline. And it's been going on since the first week of the season. There was there was one early game where they dropped six passes. 
The kid receivers dropped six passes, and Kelsey dropped passes, and Kelsey got hurt. So he F-bombed everybody between games. Nice environment. <laughs> well, there's so much drama with that team, especially yeah. with Mahomes' wife and his brother and the reality TV and everything going on with these guys. Isn't it incredible how Mahomes was the magic man? He could do anything. He could throw the ball sidearm and find these gaps. And, and Kelsey was just a guaranteed lock on a third down to get you the next first down. So now suddenly they are human. They are making mistakes. And then you kind of realize, okay, this is a team game, you know, and if they don't have that offensive line, they don't have that supporting cast, then they get exposed. And you're like, okay, you know, now they're coming back to earth a bit. They don't have Tyreek Hill. Oh, they don't have Juju Schuster Smith. Yeah. They don't have Nicole Hardman. All those guys were components that were options for Mahomes to go to, in addition to throwing to Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. So it's just not the same team, and Andy Reid has not been able to reel that thing back in. Okay, we get to halftime. Before we take a look-see at games on the schedule, let us remind you, our podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. You know, they've been in business for almost 100 years in San Diego. There are nine locations to serve you. John, you're different than me. I mean, I'm left-handed, I'm gifted, I'm intelligent, and John's out in left field being a Giants fan and rooting for the 49ers. I'm different from you. I could not go do a project and rebuild that kitchen. I don't know how to redo that patio deck. And I know you changed the lighting in your in your man cave and in your TV room and in, in these great Dixie Line studios that we have. You can do all that stuff because you got a good friend in Dixie Line Lumber. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Because there ain't no way that I can design a bathroom remodel or a kitchen remodel. Dixie Line's got the pros to do it. They're going to help you out, set you up, and then you just hire your contractor and they'll execute according to that plan. And then on top of it, if you're upgrading your backyard and want some decking material, man, you should see some of this composite decking they have from Trex and Fiberon. Um, just really high quality stuff. And it with with what's the right word? It's weather resistant with the sun and and the uh, the heat. Good stuff here with Dixie Line in San Diego. You got projects. Fix it. Build it. We guarantee you will enjoy it. Check those guys out. These guys, Dixie Line Lumber. And before we go to the second half here, our Thursday podcast going towards a great sports weekend and the great New Year's weekend and all the big games. John, remind everybody about Fans Forum right at the end of the show. Do you think we'll have enough time to do everything that's going on there? <laughs> yeah, you should see everyone's lining up. 4XLA, Angel, George, um, Javier, uh, Michael, Anthony, Greg, all jumping in. So if you've got a question or comment for Hacksaw, you got a comment on the college football playoffs, drop your take in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll see it on our screen. We'll get you involved in Fans Forum. And we want to remind you, you can subscribe so you'll get all the alerts. John, how do they do that to know what's going on with our YouTube channel? Yeah, so, yeah, first of all, subscribe on YouTube. We're dropping video clips all the time, every day. But make sure you subscribe on the audio-only platforms, you know, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Look up Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. We're getting more and more downloads of the audio-only podcasts, Lee, and it's just this podcast just keeps building and growing, doing great. Numbers are looking good. And as we spin to 2024, 
Hacksaw's Insiders Group. We're looking for people to join our team. How do they do that? Okay, it's so much going on here. Yeah, the Hacksaw's Insiders Group, you want to be part of the team. We just, you know, it's like the Hacksaw Fan Club, and you want to get some in-depth, detailed, behind-the-curtain sports content. This is what you need to do. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, orange box, upper right corner, sign in, put your name and email there, and you're going to get a lot of great content, great sports info, but it's only exclusive for those in the Insiders Group. And check my website, because I write on it every day of the week. You like sports, ton of information there for you. We start the second half of our Thursday podcast. We're going to talk NFL football. It almost feels like playoff time. Yeah, I mean, there's only a few weeks left in the season. So what are the big games this weekly? Well, let's start first of all with the Detroit Lions, Dallas Cowboys. We keep challenging Detroit. How good are they really? Well, they keep answering the question. They got 10 wins this season. Big challenge. I got to play the Cowboys. Detroit is averaging. This is hard to believe that a team run by Jared Goff would be averaging 394 yards a game. Wow. I mean, the statistics are amazing. So you got Goff, you got St. Amore, the wide receiver. They got two running backs that are hot. Uh, Gibbs has just had a splashy rookie season. David Montgomery's been just trustworthy as a power guy inside. Their defense goes after your quarterback. So you got all that. Detroit going for their 11th win. The Cowboys have had a good season, but they've lost two in a row. They've cooled down just a bit. Dak Prescott, 104 quarterback rating. He's got 30 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. C.D. Lamb has had a superstar breakout season. 109 catches, 13 yards per catch for number 88. And Tony Pollard, the guy that replaced Zeke Elliott, he's got 1,171 all-purpose yards, and he's gotten through the whole season without an injury. So you got Detroit against the Dallas Cowboys. You got Kansas City against Cincinnati. And Jake Browning, the backup quarterback, journeyman backup quarterback, he's had his 15 minutes of fame. I wonder if he's going to bounce back against the Chiefs. His last couple of games, he looks like a deer in headlights, kind of panicked. Eight touchdowns, six picks, two fumbles, a lot of mistakes. He's starting to make mistakes that backup quarterbacks normally start to make when defenses get video on them and start to figure out what they can't do. The Chiefs are obviously in a fury over all this poor play offensively. Will Kansas City come together, or is there an ambush waiting? Will Cincinnati beat the Chiefs? Raiders-Colts, what a job Antonio Pierce has gotten these guys to do play hard play hard all the time I mean defensively they're just causing a lot of chaos out there because they're pressuring the quarterback and they've gotten much more physical in the secondary but how in the world do you win games when your offense is averaging 279 yards per game Mm -hmm. that's what the Raiders are doing offensively with a backup quarterback Aiden O'Connell they're converting only 34% of your third downs absolute misery in that department They've, they've scored only 31 touchdowns this season in 15 games but yet the Raiders are hanging in there for Antonio Pierce the Colts you know they're still in the wild card race they're up they're down uh, Gardner Minshew, the gunslinger, uh, he throws touchdown passes, he throws interceptions, he takes sacks, he, he drops the football and fumbles. Colts desperately need a win. If the Raiders win this, that'd be 5-3 that'd be and three for Antonio Pierce as yeah. the interim guy. So maybe Mark Davis has to give him the job because the players have already said we want Pierce to be given the full-time position. And then we got the game of the weekend. And we've had games of the weekend every week, like for the last month. We've had so many mm-hmm. great matchups. 
you got Miami, you got Baltimore, you got the MVP showdown. You know, Tua versus Lamar. Uh, Dolphins have won five of their last six. Baltimore is 11-1 and one since October. Think really? Think about that. Wow. Miami's offense, 491 yards per game. They got Tyreek. He's still doing dazzling things. They got the two-headed monster at running back. They're throwing to the tight ends. Now, they don't have Jalen Waddle. The wide receiver is averaging 13 per game. He's out with a real high ankle sprain. But what a season two has had. Tagovailoa, 4,200-plus yards, 26 touchdowns. He's got a quarterback rating of 105. Whoa. You know, back in August when you and I were first broaching the start of the season coming out of camp, the question was, would he stay healthy? Could he stay on the field? Did he learn a lot from being hurt? Boy, I guess he has. What a phenomenal season for him. Lamar Jackson, MVP candidate, 4,100, 43 all-purpose yards. First time ever. He's got wide receivers and running backs around him. But he creates chaotic plays and executes them. He's having a dazzling season. And then there's the Baltimore defense. 297 yards per game, 54 sacks, 35% on third down conversions. They just are relentless. They just change your whole playbook because they don't let you put drives together. So it's going to be a fun game, Miami-Baltimore. So, John, you got a lot here to talk about. Do you believe in the Lions or do you believe the Cowboys can come back? What do you think about uh, the controversy Cincinnati-Kansas City? Are they playing for Antonio Pierce in Las Vegas? And they got Miami-Baltimore. The table is yours. The table is mine. Uh, first of all, I'm loving the Raiders rallying behind Antonio Pierce. And, and they're doing it kind of in a clunky style with not really good offense, but they're winning games. And I love it. And I love everything about Antonio Pierce because he's an L.A. guy, you know, and he's I think he was from like South Central and yep. he's really embraced the whole L.A. Raider culture. So he gets it, you know, so it's nice to see the Raiders rising again. Um, I love the drama with the Chiefs, you know, and and who's in the skybox with Taylor and, and all of that. It's just <laughs> fun watching. And my wife likes watching the games when the Chiefs are playing. I'm all in on the Lions. I, I would love to see the Lions become the new America's team and displace the Cowboys. But that game will be in Dallas, right? So that'll be a tough go. And then the other game, you know, the Ravens just put a can of whoop ass on my Niners last weekend. I, they're they're going to be tough to beat, but two is a a fun story. He's a good guy to root for. So I'm gonna my heart is going to be with the Dolphins, but my my brain is with the Ravens this weekend. Okay, you're an NFL fan. Just pick them, pal. Give us your spin on this Miami game coming up with the Baltimore Ravens. So we go from all things football. You got a unique controversial story or two here in baseball. Yeah, this whole story with Wander Franco is disgusting and distasteful. Wander Franco's a young star shortstop. Tampa Bay was removed from the roster on the baseball commissioner's uh, exempt list. Uh, has, it's been alleged he's under investigation that he had relationships with three minor girls in the Dominican Republic. The investigation is reportedly complete. He was supposed to report to court to hear the allegations against him did not show. They raided two of the houses he lives in the Dominican this week, could not find him. His lawyers were given a warrant that he had to appear today, Thursday. He fired the lawyers. 
he was a no-show again. It's almost as if he's a fugitive at large. <laughs> and yeah, maybe he boards a plane, leaves the Dominican, and comes to the States. He can't go to spring training. Commissioner's office is not going to lift this administrative leave thing. So that's a really ugly story. And this is a star shortstop of the Tampa Bay Rays. That's one story. The other story is in Washington. We, of course, have tracked the the... the Unbelievable career of Steven Strasburg, and it kind of looks like the comet has burned out. His career is over because of the multiple surgeries, neck, shoulder, etc. He is owed a wad of money. He's already made $145 million on a seven-year contract he signed right at the peak of his career before all the injuries waylaid him. He's made $145 million. He's owed $105 million, three years left, and Washington's ownership's refusing to pay it. Now, I don't know how you can refuse to pay the contract. He got hurt wearing your uniform. The union has interceded, and the union says we're not having any negotiations on a buyout. The guaranteed contract's the guaranteed contract. Yeah. We're not changing, quote, the injury clause. So nothing's been solved as it relates to Strasburg. There won't, from what I gather, there's not going to be a buyout. There's not going to be a discount for the final three years, 105, that that he has owned. You know, he had a great career. I mean, he might have been on a track to win 250 games before he broke down, uh, but he's had so many physical woes, and he can't function as a normal person. He wants to be able to bend over and pick up his kids, and his shoulder and his neck will not allow it just because mm-hmm. he's had fusion surgery and things of that nature. But uh, Washington trying to wiggle out of what's owed, Union says, you will not do that. You're... Yeah, well, definitely a contract's a contract. And you know, granted, MLB, they make them guaranteed. I mean, it's like a sweet deal if you're a player. I mean, mm-hmm. and you're just locked in. Um, but, you know, strong, they're trying to renegotiate the deal. It's almost like the Broncos trying yeah. to renegotiate the deal with Russell Wilson. Come on, guys, you sign the deal, make it happen. Um, the Wander Franco story is just a mess. And the Rays ponied up and gave him big money. He's got guaranteed money. But if he gets arrested or something, I imagine the Rays would be off the hook financially. Oh, exactly. Yeah. The, the minute this comes to jur- you know jurisdiction, he was paid through the end of the last season while on administrative leave. This is pretty serious stuff. Yeah. I mean, the last player that got involved with, quote, underage girls is a Pittsburgh pirate relief ace, Felipe Vasquez. He's still in prison. Mm-hmm. Just spent Christmas in prison on a three-year prison term. The allegations are there are three underage girls that he had relationships with. I don't know if they were all in Florida or whether they were in the Dominican Republic. There have been two family lawsuits already filed. So he's he's in a world of hurt. You just you don't understand why people would make the kind of bad decisions they're making in terms of relationships. You know, we could spin off that topic and talk about Julio Urias, yeah. the Dodgers pitcher, who had already been suspended once for domestic abuse and now gets suspended again and has not resurfaced in Major League Baseball. So that's that. Mm. Okay, we go from baseball. Last topic on the table, big boy basketball. Yeah, huge game <laughs> tomorrow night. Prove it game for the Aztecs. Friday night, San Diego State, Gonzaga. I guess you could call this a real litmus test. State is nine and two. Bulldogs are ten and three. Zags, though, have lost to number one Purdue and lost at two at that point number five UConn. Mm. So two of their three losses have been against real big time top of the ratings competition. How about Gonzaga? Now the Aztecs are playing in Spokane. 
Gonzaga, 76-game winning streak at home in Spokane. Mm -hmm. Finally snapped at the end of last season to Loyola. Had a weird loss there. Lost once to UConn here. But aside from that, they're virtually unbeatable. Uh, Big storyline, Jadon Ledee. Can he get scoring help? Because you have no doubt that they're going to defend him and box him and double him. And there's going to have to be points from other people. Now, the Aztecs have three guards that are kind of kicking it into gear. Uh, Reese Waters has had a phenomenal start at US uh, from USC transferring into San Diego State. And then obviously we know what the butler can do, and we obviously know what Tramiel has done. Those guys are going to have to score. And I think the wild card in the whole thing is what kind of point production, because they're going to need Micah Parrish to hit threes. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a big question. And Jay Powell is going to try to play with a mask. He, of course, had the broken nose. And he, he had been a contributor off the bench. So there has to be some form of point production around Jaden Ledee to get that defense to back off because I have no doubt the Zags are going to run a lot of people at him. Wyoming center Graham Ike transferred into Gonzaga at the last minute. He supposedly was going to the Big 12. He wound up in Spokane. He's averaging 14 and 8. Austin Watson shooting forward, averaging 14 and 7. Creighton transfer guard. Ryan Nemhard, he's averaging 12 and 6 assists per game. Uh, Gonzaga averaging 84 points a game on offense. Defense giving up only 67. They're out rebounding the opponent 43 to 35. They're shooting almost 50% from the floor. And at home, they're like shooting 69%. Oh, my God. Man, they're just a phenomenal basketball team. And we all know what Brian Dutcher has accomplished since replacing the Hall of Famer should be Steve Fisher. Dutch is 161 and 49. Mark Few... 19 West Coast Conference titles in 24 years, 658-129. That's his one-loss record. Wow. So this is going to be great. Zags, they got so much firepower, and they got the fury of the fans in Spokane. Like I said, 76-game home court winning streak. State's good. State's going to need help for Jaden Ladee, who I think is one of the best big men on the West Coast. And John Riley, are you going to shoot air ball or shoot three pointers? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I'm a three point shooter myself, man. You know, so I, the Aztecs went to Spokane and beat the Zags. So what was it about ten years ago yep. or so? That was a the big moment in Aztec basketball history. Can they do it again? And it's going to be hard. Uh, but I'll tell you what: during this initial, you know, uh, out of conference schedule, the Aztecs have shown moments when their lockdown defense was working. They've shown moments when they've been hitting shots like crazy, but then they go cold and then sometimes their defense is like a false sleep and then the other team gets layups. So you're not sure what Aztec team you're going to get. And I know that, you know, Dutcher and his staff have been working with the team. Now, granted, it was Christmas. A lot of the guys went home. Did you see the picture of Jaden Ledee with a basketball court in his house? I mean, that was unbelievable. But this will be a fun game to watch. Um, You know, the Aztecs will be probably at least an eight-point underdog in this thing. But, you know, the miracles can happen, and the Aztecs, if they get all their ducks in a row, it'll be a competitive game. We've had it's been a strange year. Uh, you know they, they they played St. Mary's early, and they banged them when St. Mary's was ranked. Mm-hmm. Now they played Grand Canyon, and oh, that didn't work out very well in Phoenix, did it? No. And if you thought it was bad at Grand Canyon, this is beyond that. 
just because of the tradition in Spokane and those fans and the town closes down and everybody goes there. Yeah. It'll be it'll be a great game. I just I hope, as I said, the components around Ladie will show up and and make things happen because that'll make him a better player. If he has to carry the load, he's going to have trouble with the Wyoming Transfer Center and everything else they're going to do defensively. And how about the X's versus the O's, Dutcher versus Mark Few? These are two great college basketball lines. Two best programs on the West Coast. Sorry, UCLA. Well, UCLA is kind of sorry right now because the Foreign Legion's kind of hit a wall. They're, I don't know if you paid any attention. They're five and six. They He's, lost to Northridge. Yeah, five <laughs> and six. So that's where we are. Hey, listen, before we get to fans form, I want to remind you, our Thursday podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Build it, fix it. We guarantee for the new year, you will enjoy it. Think Dixon Line Lumber. Look at the number of people lined up in fans form. Everybody's got a question. There's a few people probably got some opinions. John, these are your best friends. Ask the question. Ask a question. Okay, here's 4RXLA. He says, USC and UCLA are in for some lean years in the Big Ten. Their style of football is too soft for the more physical Big Ten. Oregon should be the quickest to adapt to the Big Ten. Well, the reality is if you can recruit firepower... And there's no doubt Oregon and Southern Cal have. I don't think UCLA has. If you can recruit firepower, firepower is an offset for the physicality. Yeah, they're big and they're brute uh, in the Big Ten. But if you got quarterbacks and you got receivers who put on the show like they did at the Holiday Bowl last night, yeah. I think Southern Cal's got a chance to really be competitive. But I just, I wonder about the emotional linkage. You know, yeah, you're going to have home games in the Big Ten at the L.A. Coliseum or at the Rose Bowl. I just don't think it carries the pizzazz and the zest and the fury that you got when you're playing guys up and down the West Coast in the conference that you've had this rivalry with since 1915. Oh, I the fans are going to show up because you know Ohio State fan, Michigan fan are going to go roll into the Rose Bowl in the Coliseum and include Rutger fan, Maryland fan. You know, uh, Southern California is a melting pot of people from all over the nation. I think it's going to work out great for them because they're going to get higher profile recruits. They're leaving the Pac-2, which is dissolving. It's going to be weird travel, but from a football perspective, I expect SC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, I think they're all going to be competitive. Um, so let's see where this goes. But for now, you know, the Pac-12, you know, they had a good showing at the Holiday Bowl. So SC's got to feel good about that. If they have a quarterback throwing six touchdowns against Ohio State, that'd be something. I just don't get the sense it's going to be the same emotional attachment when you're going back there, back there, back there to play in the Big Ten Conference. Next question. Okay, let's go to Angel. He says, Broncos must really hate Russell Wilson so much that they benched him, even though Denver is still in the wild car race and facing the red-hot Vegas Raiders. I'll tell you, it's a strange scenario. I, I agree with the Angel. This doesn't make, it makes no sense at all when you're fighting for your playoff life. And I pose the question, there are probably some pro-Russell Wilson guys in that room. Does Sean Payton run the risk of losing his locker room with two weeks to go? But the bigger question, they traded for a quarterback that looked like he was on his last wheels. And he's had a really great career. Russell Wilson's been a, a gentleman. I think he's been a leader. I think he's had some amazingly statistically successful seasons. They traded for a guy from Seattle that was on his last legs, and they gave him this contract extension. I think the next guy's going to leave Denver is going to be the general manager who did all this in George Payton. But 
you know, Sean Payton has now put himself in a bad situation. He's got to go find a quarterback. I don't know where he's going to find a quarterback in the middle of the draft unless he's going to be able to lure some veteran free agent in here in the front door. That'd be intriguing to see where Russell Wilson winds up. Russell Wilson, Las Vegas. I mean, they need a quarterback. They're they're moving Garoppolo out. Mm -hmm. But again, what kind of Russell Wilson you're getting? Yeah, you're not sure. I mean, because, you know, when, when he started up, he kind of came out of nowhere. Remember, he was like a— He was in North Carolina State, then he went to Wisconsin, and yeah. he did really, really well. But everybody said, well, he's a little bit undersized. Do you have a specialized offense to make it work? But it worked. And he, I mean, he put up some phenomenal numbers as a leader. Yeah, he, and he studied the playbook. He was yep. determined. And he made a difference. And I remember that Super Bowl against the Patriots, and they had the ball the goal line, and he threw that pass, and it was intercepted. And you're like, what are you doing? Why aren't you running the ball? Ever since then— and Russ, for me, Russell Wilson's been on the decline. I just think it was a bonehead mistake by the Broncos to trade that much value and then offer him this insane contract. So now they're, you know, kind of stuck with it. They got to sleep in that bed. Wilson, you know, I don't know the quarterback playing the NFL is just so weird, you well, know? So many injuries in the yeah. NFL. Do you know this weekend we have two more backups have to start because of devastating injuries? They'll be the 59th and 60th different starting quarterbacks yeah. this season of the 32 teams. Think about it. 60 different quarterbacks about to start. There's yeah. not 60 great quarterbacks in the league. I'm sorry. I mean, you're lucky if there are six great quarterbacks in the NFL. We move on. Moving on. Let's go to Javier. He says, the Dodgers spending over a billion dollars. They're all in. Well, they are all in. You know, the Dodger way is winning. Dodger Way is drawing $4 million. Dodger Way is having over $100 million on their TV contract. And the other thing that's unique about the Dodgers, and I did not realize this till this morning, uh, doing some research, he, Otani, he, Yamamoto, they are now the 11th and 12th Japanese base players who sign with the Dodgers. There is an enormous legacy of their relationships with people from the Pacific Rim. I mean, we talk about the Dallas Cowboys America's team. How about the Los Angeles Dodgers America's team as it relates to going to get these great players and convincing them to come here and be part of our culture? Uh, it's a phenomenal investment they made, but, you know, one is an iconic, probably Hall of Famer who's going to be a DH pitcher a year from now, and most people think he'll be back to what he was with the Halos. Uh, and the other is a 25-year-old superstar. I mean, what he accomplished in Japan, dominating, as different as, as pitching in Japan is, what he accomplished there is a trendsetter bringing all those skills here. And now the challenge, will he be the same pitcher in America? But you Darvish was, Daisuke Suzaka from the Red Sox was, Hideo Nomo, Kenta Maeda, uh, Hunjin Ryu before he got hurt. So I think I think it's exciting. It's going to be interesting. Padres open against the Dodgers in South Korea. Yeah, that's going to be cool. The whole world is going to stop to yeah. watch that game, whether it's at 8 o'clock in the evening or 3 o'clock in the morning. That will be fun. Well, you know, the Dodger way is also choking in the playoffs with oh. Dave Roberts making terrible p pitching change moves. Um, so, you know, it, it is cool they had a lot of Asian players that have played for L.A. You know, the Padres, you know, we, we were like a year or two ago, I think they had like eight different guys from different nations on their roster. It's cool seeing that you, that United Nations angle. But I still think that Yamamoto contract was way the hell too long, 12 years. And, you, you, you know, he should be good in Major League Baseball but it's still a huge risk. Imagine if he ends up bombing out and then the Dodgers got this big anchor of a contract, kind of like Russell Wilson in Denver. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that came from a Giants fan. I just want you to understand the bias there before he made the statement. And if you think we've had fun talking about this, do you know who arrives next year? Ross Sasaki. He's the Ah. 22-year-old sensation who's bypassing Japanese baseball, and he's going to come here and be a free agent. Now, he'll play at a lower level. He'll take an Otani contract because he's not eligible for full free agency, and there won't be any posting fee, but he'll be restricted in earnings his first five years in Major League Baseball. But Sasaki is going to be here next year, so we'll be arguing about that. Yeah, bring it all on. I love seeing it. We can have an actual World Series. Okay, bring on more questions here. All right, here's some uh, more Dodger comments. This is from Michael. He says, Hi, Lee and John. Why is Steve Garvey not in the Hall of Fame? He has the numbers and was a good ambassador for the game. Rock-solid numbers, no doubt about it. But are they superstar numbers? And it spins back to the question, should the Hall of Fame be for greatness or just good players? And that's a a tough thing. Uh, It's been so long that probably Garvey's not going to get in, but you can't take away what he did. He was rock-solid consistent for a long time, and obviously he was part of one of the most unique setups in Major League Baseball, all four of those infielders. Say and Garvey and Russell and Sachs. I mean, that was a that was a pretty unique collection of guys to play together. But uh, Hall of Famer, marginal, very good career though, and so I don't I don't view his career as a negative. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think it was Lopes, wasn't Lopes. it? Yeah, I not Sachs, it was Lopes. But uh, but at any rate, Garvey. Is, well, they let in Don Sutton. Okay, and he's like an, a good but not great. Scott Rowland, kind of similar, right? Rock solid. They're rock solid all-stars, you know, but are they Hall of Famers? But, you know, the Garv is running for uh, Senate in California. Mm-hmm. He's going to try to win it as a Republican, which is a – that's a tough assignment in blue California. But, um, you know, he – remember he was going to run for politics about 20, 30 years ago, and he had some scandals – but now he's back. So I think that's what we got to pay attention to the Garv. He's on the political stage. Okay, we carry on. we got more questions on fans' form. Let's go to Greg here. And he says, how significant is the USC holiday win over Louisville, even though they were a ranked team at 15? Great show, by the way. Yes, you are correct. It is a great show. I think great job done by Link Riley. For him to reinvent that offense with so many players having stepped away, that's a phenomenal accomplishment. And they, they beat up a Louisville team at one point was 10-1. and one. Louisville kind of cooled off at the end. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a starting back point. So now, now we wait to see what, what's left in the transfer portal, how many come to join Link Riley. But, boy, to get that game experience and to have Moss do what Miller Moss did, first game out of the shoot, student of the game, obviously big arm, smart kid, emotional leader. So that, that was a huge thrust forward when all we had dealt with at Southern Cal was adversity from the middle of the season on. Defensive coordinator gets fired. Assistant coaches get fired. Team can't play defense. They played really hard under Danton Lynn in his debut game as coordinator. And what Miller Moss did was, wow. Wow. You know, and you remember the beginning of the year, SC was potential national number one, right? Yep. I mean, they were top five. And the defense went to hell. But if, as long as Miller Moss will throw six TDs, it doesn't matter what the defense does. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, this is uh, this is from uh, I Smash. He says, Strasburg has stolen most of the money he has made. Well, Stephen had significant injuries as a young pitcher, reconstructive elbow surgery, came back, got to the World Series, and was a dominant, dominant pitcher. 
and then signed the extension after Washington went to the World Series, and then he just broke down. So I wouldn't say he's stolen it. He's had, I want to say he's had three surgeries. He has tried everything conceivable to get back on the mound. But when you have a blood clot, and then you have shoulder woes, and they had to go in and take a rib out. Uh, so he's had three different surgical procedures. He's tried. He's tried everything humanly possible. Contract is a contract is a contract. Now, to me, guys who can't play, some of that contract's covered by insurance. So I don't quite understand why Washington would be trying to get out of the final $105 million. But to, to, to say he stole the money, I think that's kind of unfair to the guy because the guy tried everything he could to get back on the mound. Yeah, it's not theft. I mean, you know, it's a contract, like you say, it is a contract. And this, a lot of times contracts are based on not so much the future, but your past performance. And he was the MVP of the World Series. And dude earned that. Um, you know, it's unfortunate the way the whole thing shook out, but I wouldn't say he was stolen. Hey, let's go over here to Emmanuel. He says, how great is Matthew Stafford if he can lead the L.A. Rams to the playoffs? Also, a great job by Sean McVay by getting his team this close to the playoffs. And I think you have to throw kudos also to Les Snead, the general manager. You know, he's the one a couple of years ago wore the T-shirt, F them draft picks. Oh, you know, because yeah. the Rams had <laughs> traded all their draft picks to, to go get Jalen Ramsey and all those other great veterans, etc. Yeah. Well, now he stockpiled draft picks, went into free agency with very little cap space. And he rebuilt that roster. I mean, the guys he drafted, the guys that they signed, have really panned out. And they've gotten a little bit of luck. I don't know very many teams have gotten through a whole season without devastating injuries. But the Rams have this season. As compared to past seasons where their whole offensive line was wiped out. And then Stafford got killed because they couldn't protect him. And they lost all their running backs because of injuries. So uh, McVay's done a good job quote, coaching them up. And obviously they've kept them on the field. And they progressively gotten better and better. So now you got Stafford, and you got the second-year running back at Notre Dame, Kyron Williams, and obviously they found the BYU kid in Nakua, who's had a he's got ninety-six receptions, which is amazing. Mm. Uh, and you still got Cooper Cup, and you got Tyler Higgs, and offensive front has stayed intact, and they're all young pups. And at the back seven defensively, hell, I bet fans can't name who's playing on the back seven outside of Ernest Jones and linebacker. But all those guys were guys that they found, brought in, drafted, signed to street free agents, and they're all playing well around Aaron Donald. So, you know, are are they an elite team? Are they the 49ers? No. Are they Eagles? No, I don't think so. I'm not even sure they're the Dallas Cowboys. They might be one and done. But to be one and done compared to where they were a year ago this week with five wins, tremendous accomplishment. McVay's done a really good job. Well, I think if the season ended, they, they're they in, aren't they? Um, which no, is in, two weeks to go. Well, there's still two weeks to go. I know. And this is what, great this time of the year. You know, uh, every game is like a playoff game. And if this team wins and that team loses and this team gets in, so it's going to be a great time. So yeah, go Rams. Uh, let's go here to Manny. He says, when will the MLB Hot Stove uh, League pick up? Every team waited for Otani and Yamamoto to sign, but so far there are a lot of remaining free agents. Well, there's not a lot of marquee free agents. You've got Blake Snell that's still out there, and you got Josh Hader who's unsigned asking for the moon, and you got Jared Montgomery of Texas. Those are really the three last star guys coming off super seasons that are on the market. There's an awful lot of mid-level free agents, and those guys will get signed. And the longer this goes, the price tag will come down on some of those guys. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Snell because we hear the Angels have met with him. 
The Angels have done virtually nothing except sign one-year rentals. They aren't going to make them a better team. Uh, the, the wild one we hear is that the Red Sox are now in on the bidding. I don't know what's happened to the Giants and their interest, unless the Giants have just backed away from Blake Snell because they don't want to give in to Scott Boris's demands. Uh, Jared Montgomery might wind up going back to Texas, which would not be bad for him. Price tag on him is is going to be significant. Uh, Matt Chapman is still available in Toronto. Um, there are some re- veteran relief pitchers that are still out there, aside from Hader. Hader's asking $20 million plus per year, and that's why he's not <laughs> been signed. Uh, and it, it'll be fun to see over the next couple of weeks. But now the price is on most of what's left out there. And, and you can still get guys who help your team. But I'll be intrigued to see where Snell winds up and then obviously where Hater winds up. Would you pay Hater over $20 million a year if he refuses to come in for a four-out save? Well, that's I'll tell you, that's worked against him. That, that thing is out there attached to his name. Yeah. Is I'm not pitching f- four outs. I'm not going to pitch back-to-back days, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So his price tag is probably 15 to 20, but I wouldn't go above that. And again, with the potentiality of pitchers breaking down, I don't know that I'd go five years for a pitcher. Dodgers just went 10 years for Yamamoto, which kind of shocked me, although that's got opt-outs in it too. Mm -hmm. But uh, Snell, you know, Snell, the statistics Blake Snell put up at Petco Park last year were phenomenal. But I, I can't get away from the ideology that he had the Tampa Bay Cy Young season, the San Diego Cy Young season, and in between those two awards, you couldn't trust him. His seasons were so erratic. He was so Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, but he did have those two winning seasons. i just going to be fascinated to see who's going to give him term, number of years, and who's going to give him volume of dollars. Yeah, it's a it's a risky move. I mean, given that track record. But I was just reading about how yesterday was the anniversary of the trade the Padres made with the Rays to get him. And we gave up uh the Padres gave up um Patino who bombed out. Um who who's the other guys? Uh Francisco Mejia who flamed out, Cole Wilcox who had arm surgery, mm-hmm. and then the other guys Blake Hunt who's not even in the Rays organization anymore. Preller made a hell of a deal there, yep. you know, and he, and still people crap on Preller all the time. My guess is Preller is plotting right now. There's something going on, but yeah, I do believe that there's an economic component now to the inability of the Padres to make deals. Mm-hmm. Padres, Padres are talking to two Japanese pitchers. You know, by the time we rejoin you on Tuesday after the New Year's holiday, maybe the Padres get another Japanese pitcher because they are talking again to Imanaga the veteran left-handed starter. And he's supposed to be here right after January 1st to start visits to team stateside. But there's a whole bunch of teams that are in on him. So I, I, I think the Padres might have one more pitcher coming from abroad, but their inactivity here leads me to believe that this, this economic component where the budget and the payroll is getting stretched down, mm-hmm. closed in, refined to a lower amount, I think that's real. And I think that's why... Preller hasn't been as active. Did you see Eric Gruppner's comments about how uh, you know we're pulling the payback the payroll back? But you know if you if you were in a coma for the last five years and you woke up, you'd be really happy with this payroll. Well, you'd be happy with one eighty to two hundred million. But the problem is, the bulk of that one hundred eighty million 
is already spoken for and all, all these long-term contracts that you can't trade. Mm-hmm. You know, let's be realistic here. Yeah, 180 sounds good, but you realize that four or five players take up a large amount of the 180 and there's nothing left in the farm system because you traded so much away and you knock those next waves not going to be here for a couple of years. So, I mean, Gruppner's sales pitching one thing, but there's a little bit of reality on the other side. want to hit the ball back through the box at him that you got to <laughs> consider. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. A couple more. A couple more. Brett says, the Chargers need to move to Petco. Well, it's only 35000 max that could sit there at Petco. The Chargers aren't moving anywhere because the ownership's not going to sell the team. And good luck to L.A., you know, supporting somebody that is not real relevant. And our heart aches. I can't go anywhere without people stopping me and saying, oh, the Chargers, we miss them so badly. And there's a hole in our heart. And it's just it's it's damaged the psyche of San Diego sports fan, despite what the Padres have done, what Aztec basketball has done, what Aztec football might be under the new coach, Sean Lewis, our community just never recovered from the screw job they got when Spanos turned his back on 55 years of loyalty. The San Diego sports curse, man. It just keeps coming. But imagine if, just for fun, the Chargers did play at Petco. I mean, we'd have, you know, a football game like uh, on the infield dirt, you know, like they used to have at the multi-purpose stadiums. But, um, you know, it's fun that they had the Holiday Bowl there. But, yeah, there's no way they could have an NFL team. No. And, you know, one of the sad parts, as, as cool as Snapdragon Stadium is and the fact that San Diego State convinced the voters that we should take over the whole property, back in the day, Soccer City which proposed they were they were going to build a stadium and turn it over to San Diego State but a piece of that property was to be reserved for somebody if somebody wanted to come in and build an NFL stadium you have Jeff Bezos's phone number <laughs> they were going to build that piece of property was still there but when San Diego State won the ballot proposal they got all the property soccer city's thing came off the board they would have provided access to 15 acres of land for an NFL stadium whomever wanted to develop it and if they could get a team. But that's that's gone by the board now. It, it's not coming back. Yeah. I mean, well, here's a, co- a social media comment here from, uh, what is it, Chachucha. And it says, the Spanoses started off selling bologna sandwiches to day laborers, <laughs> minimal nutrition on the cheap. 70 years later, they're stuck to that same business model, bologna rhetoric for loyal, success-starved fans that provides just enough hope, minimal cost, minimal output. Well, they've spent up to the cap. They've spent their cap money. Now they're capped out. They're in a world of hurt next year. There's um, The numbers that I've researched say they're anywhere from $60 million to maybe $80 million above the cap, which means the roster they had this year is not going to be the roster they're going to have next year. They're going to have to be some significant roster deletions of big money guys. And I don't know that, whether that's Joey Bosa or whether that is Mike Williams. There's a couple of big payday guys that are probably going to leave and they're going to have to restructure down some of the other volume contracts. But, you know, I, I, I like Tom Telesco. I thought he did a good job stockpiling young players, but they just can't keep him on the field, can't keep him healthy. I, I like Justin Herbert because I think he's a gamer. But, you know, he's played hurt now. He's had three major injuries and a year and a half, uh, they just have not been a complete football franchise. So, I mean, I separate the ill will and the emotion directed towards the first family of football, the Spanoses, Mm -hmm. but I still have great respect for the players and some of the coaches and the guys that were there uh, as a general manager. But 
they got a huge challenge on their hands because it's not going to be the same team next year. I'll guarantee you that. If you are Bill Belichick or Jim Harbaugh or some hot coordinator, is the Chargers job an attractive job? Do you have a quarterback? Yes. You just answered your question. Okay. All right. Now, I think the sidebar question is, will management give the new coach coming to the front door player personnel decision-making authority? And Belichick wants that, shouldn't get it because he failed as a general manager in New England. And Harbaugh would probably demand it. You just have to negotiate that way through if if Harbaugh is indeed the guy. But there's so many too many good coaches out there who are assistants that probably going to get a look-see too. Yeah, right on. Well, let's get, get an NBA question here. Clippers-Lakers, this is from Joel. He says, the Clippers are a strong team, but every time the playoffs start, they become a hospital and most of their stars get injured. If they manage with that, they could be in the finals. They're good, but now Kawhi's hurt. Kawhi's got a hip injury. I don't know if it's a hip impingement or whether it's cartilage, and now they're down from him. Now, granted, they still have Paul George, and they do have James Harden, and they got Russell Westbrook. They're going to get their backup center, Mason Plumley back within a couple of weeks with a, what appeared to be a very badly sprained knee. So I think they've got a lot of components there, but you got to have your stars available. And now Kawhi, after a phenomenal month-long start, He's dinged, and we don't know the depths of the hip injury. So that's an issue. And then the flip side of that is the team on the other side of the hallway, the the Lakers. They got AD and they got LeBron, but those guys do get hurt, and they they do not have the components around them that we thought were going to really be productive. They've had a bunch of nagging injuries. Gabe Vincent's just having surgery. He's a Miami guard that they got that thought was going to be a firepower guy right off the bench, and he's hardly played at all, and now he's gone six to eight weeks with surgery for either scar tissue or bone bruise. And Lakers' support staff has not been very good. I would love to see the Clippers have success. Finally. Finally, you know. And I was just reading an article recently about uh, Steve Ballmer. You know, he's making a billion dollars a year in passive income from his dividends from Microsoft. Holy crap. Oh, well, the guy's building the arena. Yeah. He is writing that check. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, that's, that's unbelievable. fascinating guy. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Thursday weekly podcast program note We're going to be off on Monday, New Year's Day. We'll do our Tuesday bonus podcast coming off the football games, so we'll be able to cherry-pick what John had to say (laughs) about the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, and obviously had the NFL. If you like what we do, we invite you to subscribe, share, tell your friends, give us a thumbs up, five-star rating. We'll take it. We don't have very many friends. And we also want you to go to my website and register to join Hacksaw's Insiders Group because we got some things planned we hope to launch in 2024. John, have yourself a safe and happy New Year's Eve. We'll see you Monday. I'll be the one bringing the sub sandwiches. You'll be providing the beer and we'll get to watch the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and then we'll be arguing on Tuesday about the National Championship game. Plus Aztecs Gonzaga on Friday. Go Aztecs. Can't wait. Happy New Year. Thanks for being part of our team. Hope you enjoy. Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.